just a, a reminder of where we are in Romans. Uh, there were a number of Jewish uh, converts to Christianity. And in Rome, they were actually pushed out of Rome for a time. And when they were out, there were then a number of Gentile converts to Christianity. When uh, the Jews were permitted back into Rome, they came in and said, what happened to our church? What's this? All of these Gentiles who uh, never cared anything about God, never had any background whatsoever, they, they weren't entitled to the promises of the Old Testament. So what's the deal? And so Paul is... Uh, addressing the church in terms of uh, unity between the Gentiles and the Jews and how they actually are to, to look upon one another. Now, last week, of course, was Easter, and so we kind of took a, a week out. That's why I'm reminding you of uh, the context here. But the week before... Uh, we had uh, seen Paul, who uh, was a Jew himself and yet converted to Christianity. And he, he reminded them that, look, there is a remnant of, of Jews who are con continuing to engage in God's promises and, and enjoy them, including, he would say, myself, but there's also another remnant. But what we looked at the week before Easter was that he was also warning, and the warning was this. Look, there's going to come a time if you continue to reject and reject and reject, there's going to come a time when you will no longer have opportunity and there will be a hardening. And we talked about the illustration of uh, uh, the potter and, and the clay. There'll, there'll come a time where the hands will come off, will come off the clay. And what happens? It hardens. And yet, what we will see as he continues on is that he's saying, look, the story's not over yet, though. And he addresses that very question. So right on the heels of talking about that hardening, Paul says this, beginning with verse 11. So I ask, <clears throat> did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Remember, that's no way. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? <clears throat> now, I'm speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, 
I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others, and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue, Uh, in their unbelief, will be grafted in. For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted, contrary to nature, into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. And yes, we would ask that you would speak, O Lord. You have spoken. We have your word. But this portion is hard. It's hard to follow, hard to understand. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit would today illumine this text and especially help us to know, to see how this applies to us in our lives. And we pray for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. If ever we needed a prayer for illumination, (laughs) did you follow that text? This is, it's difficult. We will just say that, stipulate that right up front. And ordinarily, uh, if and this is mostly for you visitors who don't know how we ordinarily work, I will uh, put an outline into our worship guide for you to fill in, to, to take notes and so on. If you looked at the outline, you see how creative it is <laughs> this week. And that, that's just the best I could do. And there are some passages uh, that 
are just difficult to outline. Now, here's, here's what, I, what we're going to do today. It is a little bit different, so I'm going to go through the verses and, and explain um, what, what he's saying here, what he's getting at. And so I really want you to hang in there with me, especially through the first part when we try to figure out what he was saying to the Roman church. And don't get discouraged. Don't, don't think, well, you know, what does, do, do, does unity between the Jews and the Gentiles have to do with us? Well, we're going to spend some time talking about that. So after we first try to discern what this text is saying, we're going to say, so what's it mean to me? Now, we do that every week, but, but especially we're going to, uh, uh, I believe, see how um, even though this, as I read it, the first time as I was studying it, and it almost seemed remote, it was like I feel pretty removed from that. But there is real application. So I want to encourage you there. So, so stick with me as we, we try to uh, see what Paul was saying here, remembering the context that I just gave you. So uh, picking up with verse 11, so I asked, did they stumble in order that they might fall? Uh, by no means. Now, who is the they? Uh, this, I, I'm believe would be the, the unbelieving uh, Jews. And he's basically, Paul's basically asking the question after, after he had talked about the hardening, he's asking uh, this question, did the Jews fall beyond recovery? Have, are they at that point where the hardening has taken place and so now it's going to be all about a Gentile church and a few Jews sprinkled in, maybe. But have, have they fallen that far? Charles Hodge said, uh, makes the point, as the rejection of the Jews was not total, neither is it final. So what, what, he, what that commentator uh, was saying was this. Uh, Paul had, had just made the point that, look, there are remnants of, of Jews, including myself, there, that are uh, engaging and uh, benefiting from the promises that were given throughout the Scripture. And so the rejection was not total, but it's also not, not final. There is still hope for the Jews. So God's plan was never to totally leave the Jews behind as if he were mad and kicking them to the curb and then saying, okay, well then we'll go over here. Now, there's a sense where that's what happened historically. But when he said, we'll go over here, the Jews were still not forgotten. God's people were not forgotten. So, uh, still with verse 11, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. So what is their trespass? Well, it's rejection of Jesus. Now let's talk about this jealousy. Some of your versions may use the, the term envy. 
And uh, normally when we, when we think of jealousy, we think of that, well, that's a bad quality. You know, how can that be something that, that God would use or that uh, Paul would actually kind of commend? Um, it seems to me that jealousy is something sinful. It's not a good quality. So how is it that God himself is going to provoke them with jealousy. He also uses that word in verse 14, in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. Now, let me read to you a, a, a quote from a, another a commentator because I think he, he captures this. He says, envy, and that, that can be translated envy or jealousy. Not all envy is tainted with selfishness because it's not always either a grudging discontent or a sinful covetousness. Whether envy is good or evil depends on the nature of the something desired and on whether one has any right to its possession. If that something is in itself evil, or if it belongs to somebody else and we have no right to it, then envy is sinful. But if that something desired is in itself good, like a blessing from God, which he means for all people to enjoy, then to covet it and to envy those who have it is not at all unworthy. So I know that's hard to follow when I'm just reading it to you. Here's basically what he's saying is that, that um, jealousy depends on the motivation and the object. If, uh, if you are envying something that belongs to somebody else, then it becomes covetousness. That's forbidden in the Ten Commandments. That's wrong. That's sinful. But if you see something that is actually offered to you, and within yourself you develop an envy for that, I, I want that, then if you're jealous for that, if you envy that, and it causes you to go for that which is good, which is a blessing from God, then it's actually a good thing. And that's how God was using uh, uh, jealousy and envy in order for uh, some to come to salvation. So look at verse 12 then. Now if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? So here's the reality. Since the, the Jews had by and large rejected Jesus, Paul was sent to the Gentiles. And they benefited greatly. In fact, we are still, if, if you don't have Jewish blood in you, we are still benefiting from the fact that the, the Jews rejected God. Because of that, the gospel came to the Gentiles and then throughout the world, which was the plan all along. So we received riches. So here's an application. Here's something to, to think in terms of that, and that is God's sovereignty over history. He brings good out of evil. Blessings 
out of loss. So yes, the Jews had a trespass. They sinned by rejecting Jesus. But that's not the end of the story. God is so powerful and his plan is is so going to go forward that he actually uses that as a way for his plan to continue on. And so... uh, we, we, we'll, we'll get more of that later, but here, here's the thing to remember. Because of that, because God is sovereign over all history, there is hope. So put that on a side burner because we're going to come back to that in terms of application. Verse 13, now I'm speaking to you Gentiles in as much then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some. So Paul's doing a couple of things here. First, in speaking to the Gentiles, he's assuring them that, look, you're not some kind of second-class citizen in the kingdom. It's one thing he's communicating But secondly, perhaps because he himself is a Jew ministering primarily to Gentiles, Paul's also showing that he is still desiring the Jews' salvation. He doesn't give up hope. Verse 15, for if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? Now, Paul's about to use some illustrations, uh, and these are illustrations that would have made sense to them. We're, we're going to have to you know, explain them because they're not exactly modern-day illustrations. He says this, if, verse 16, if the dough offered as the first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. Now, here's how the Jews would have understood that. Uh, in the Old Testament, there were uh, offerings that they would do, and they were, they were called first fruits in terms of the offering. And so what they would do is they would take a portion, a good portion of something, in this case he's talking about bread, and they would offer that to God. And so when he... Uh, um, when he says, if the dough's offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. He's saying like this, okay, so you have the bread. If you take off a portion and you offer that to God, if it's acceptable to God, then the rest of the loaf is acceptable as well. So you're saying, okay, I get the illustration. What's it mean? <laughs> you know, so what does, uh, what, what does that mean? Well, the Jews were the first fruits and the gentiles are the rest of the loaf but both belong to God you see Paul is keeps bringing them back to this look you all are in the same church the lord jesus christ and his sacrifice it was for all of you not just the jews not just you gentiles so it, it speaks to the Jews who, uh, and if the root is holy, he goes on to say, so are the branches. So it's, it speaks not just to the Jews who are the root. He's saying, don't be arrogant because 
you don't have special standing before God over the Gentiles. Look at verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it's not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That's true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you, stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. So here's the picture. Um, and this, this was uh, uh, something that we saw when we went to Israel. Over in Israel, you will see these uh, magnificent uh, olive trees. And go, go look it up sometime on, online if, uh, if you haven't seen them or seen a picture of them. But, but they will often have this huge trunk. And sometimes they'll be like three, you know, or more trunks all together. And so these trees can last uh, hundreds of years and sometimes bear fruit. But what can happen, too, is that sometimes branches will quit bearing fruit. And so he's using this as, uh, um, as the illustration that, that they would understand. So he is saying these, these branches that weren't bearing fruit, they're snapped off. They're broken off because they're dead. Now, that would be the, the Jews that were rejecting God over and over and over again. And they were actually cut off from the tree, from his people. But in order, you know, he didn't give up on the tree. He didn't cut down the tree. He didn't say, well, that's it. My people are, are gone and so on. But instead, what he did is he took, you know, as it were, a wild olive branch from somewhere else, one that wasn't at all a part of this tree, that's the Gentiles, had no part in this tree, would never have become a part of the tree, and that branch was grafted in. But what happens, and this is a cultivated tree, and what actually will happen if they, if, if, uh, they do that is that then that branch, when it's grafted in, will begin to grow and, and be, be so much a part of the tree that it's getting nourishment from the root. And now it's a very real part of the tree, and when it bears fruit, it's bearing fruit for the tree. And so this is what uh, you know, Paul is saying happened here. This is what happened with his church, but he's making application. He's saying, look, there's no room for arrogance in the kingdom of God. You Jews, if you want to be arrogant, don't forget, Jews were snapped off of the tree because of unbelief. You Gentiles, if you want to be arrogant, 
Don't forget, you were grafted in. You had no right to be here. You didn't jump on the tree and hang on. It wasn't about you gaining salvation. It was about God, the cultivator, coming and making the tree what he wanted it to be. Verse 21, for if God did not spare uh, the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Again, he's emphasizing there's no, no place for pride for the Gentiles. Look, if he, if he snapped off the Jews, what makes you think that, that uh, the same thing couldn't happen to you? Now, he's not saying you can lose your salvation. But he's saying there must be perseverance to the end as well. Verse 22 then. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Again, it's not saying we can lose our salvation. It's not saying if you don't walk the line, you just might get snapped off of the tree. But it's saying there must be perseverance. James would say that that, um, that perseverance, that continuing in the faith, proves that your faith is real. It proves that you are actually a part of the tree and you're not just a, a, a random branch that looks like it's a part of the tree but never was grafted in. So Paul's saying, don't be presumptive, but do persevere. And if we've truly been grafted in, if we truly are trusting in Christ alone for our eternal life, we won't be presumptuous because we understand it wasn't about what I did. I'm just that wild root that was, was brought in and grafted in by another, by the cultivator. And then he goes on to say this, verse 23, and even they, if they do not continue in the unbelief, will be grafted in For God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted in back into their own olive tree? Now, Paul is implying there is some kind of a future conversion uh, of, of, of the people of Israel. And we're going to deal with that next week. So you got to be here next week to know what he's saying when he says, and so all Israel will be saved. So let's get to the application. All right, thank you for hanging in there through, through this. But by way of application, all of us, if we're trusting in Christ alone, if we are a child of the living God, we should be humble because we were grafted in. We didn't just grab on to the tree. It took God, the cultivator, to bring us in to his tree, to his church. Secondly, 
No one is beyond hope. Look at the Gentiles. The Gentiles had no way they would have jumped on to the tree. No way they could have come into the kingdom. They didn't know about the promises. They weren't entitled to the promises. And yet, in God's loving kindness, he brought in many, and he continues to bring in many. And so there is always hope. Look at the Gentiles who had no hope without God himself and his work. Thirdly, no one is beyond hope. Look at the Jews. Even with all of the unbelief, even with their trespass, even with rejecting Christ, their story is not over. God has a plan, and he continues to work it. If you are a follower of Christ, that's what I want to leave you with. If someone is watching you, someone's looking at your life, is there anything that they would envy? Is there anything that they would be jealous of to where it would cause them to want what you have? That's what happened here. When we went to Israel, uh, our tour guide was a New York-raised Jewish man, Ronnie Cohen. Ronnie had uh, served our country uh, in Vietnam. And when he came back from there, he eventually immigrated to Israel. He lived in a kibbutz on the Sea of Galilee, volunteered there and, and lived there, eventually met his wife, also a Jew. And then he served in the Israeli army. Eventually, after some starts in careers and a number of years, he became a tour guide there in Israel. It's not an easy thing. Uh, they get tested every year. It's very, very rigorous to become a tour guide. He was not a Christian. But he guided Christian groups. After some years doing that, he himself converted. His wife is still not a believer, or was not when we were there, at least. But he converted and worshipped with other Christian Jews in Jerusalem. An unlikely convert, a hopeless convert. I'm sure many Christian groups thought that when they probably tried to witness to him through those early years when he was not a Christian. But when he shared his testimony, he said, this is what made the difference. I saw the love of the Christians, and I wanted that. 
You see that? Wasn't a Christian's words, although I, I know those had impacts. But he saw in them something that made him jealous, made him envy. And God used that to bring him to himself. May God build in each one of our lives testimonies, faithfulness, peace, joy that becomes so enviable to those who look on that God will use that to draw others to himself. Let's bow together. Well, we see again, Lord, it's all about you. It's not about us. Thank you for your work and in our, our lives. And Lord, will you continue that? Will you cause us to live lives here in this lost and dying world where people will look on and say, that, that is what I want. That is what I need. That will only happen as your Holy Spirit works in us and grows us. And so we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.